Our message text this morning is just a wee bit shorter. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful to all God's house, faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You may be seated. Good morning. morning. Kyle, thank you for uh, reading today. Um, Just the the substance of the clear evidence of God's judgment on a nation that turns its back on God and his ways. that passage in Leviticus is very, very revealing. And <clears throat> I think we are witnessing the evidence of that, even in our own land, as we have uh, turned our back on God and His truth and His ways, even as the people of this earth push down the knowledge of God in their hearts and rise in opposition to Him. Uh, he he will be victorious, and he will bring people down, and we can count on him. And our hearts <coughs> absolutely should be humbled, and we should be as God's people, holy, reverent, humble, repentant of our own sin and selfishness. And may God do that work in in us. Today, as we look at this passage in Hebrews chapter three. We will be seeing how Jesus is superior to Moses. As <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews is writing the, this letter, he is he's trying to just put forward the supremacy of Christ in all things. And he is using so many different ways of making that point. And we are going to see how, even in this section of Scripture, it's important for... <coughs> excuse me very important for these people to know that Jesus is superior to the one that they held up in high esteem as Jews, which is Moses. So we're thinking about these truths. And we're thinking about 
the writer is he addresses the concerns that these people face. When sin, selfishness, manifest themselves in our hearts, in our churches, and in our land, is there a, a reality that those who are, are committed to Christ and committed to following His truths and, and walking in the reality of that and saying this is, our, this is the way we will walk in it, are, are there, is the reality that difficulty and hardship is going to come does that dawn very real in your lives? And if it doesn't yet, it may soon. I don't know. I don't think that um, we should downplay the significance of the fact that if we're committed to walk in truth and we're committed to walk in righteousness, if we're going to live our lives according to the Word of God, this is going to set us in opposition to people. People will be set in opposition to us. And the challenges will abound. And we need to be prepared for those things. Sometimes that, that will hit very close to home. It, it will come out of our own, our own homes, our own families. It will come out of our own church. It definitely is going to come out of our community when we stand for truth, walk in truth, and commit our way to that. So when the, the pressures of life and opposition to truth and righteousness build, I think the question that we need to kind of resolve in our own hearts, <clears throat> where will our focus go? When, when opposition difficulty comes, where will our thoughts the resolve of our heart, where, where is that going to go? How, what are we going to focus on? <clears throat> the, I think there are times some people will react to that with fear. There's always people who will fear opposition, fear the difficulties, fear what people will say. Fear, fear how you'll be treated. Fear about things that will happen to you. So, where's your focus? when the fear comes. Some will respond from their hearts with hatred to the opposition. They will be filled with thoughts of hatred, disgust. They will be incensed at that. Is that the right focus? Is fear the right focus? Sometimes the the pressure comes and we look within and we say, how, how am I going to have the, the ability to handle this? And our focus then becomes on us. Wh what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? Then we need to ask the bottom line question to all of these things. What would God have us to do? What would God have us to do? How would God have us to react to difficulties, to challenges, to opposition, to persecution, 
to affliction, to suffering. What would God have us to do? And I'm praying that God will use this passage of Scripture to just help focus our attention on some of the things that God would have us to do as we face this. Some of you, you know the pressures. You know the difficulties. You're in the challenges right now. You feel the press. You feel the heat. You feel the opposition. Family, work, neighbors. Who, who knows what it is? People in your church. What would God have you to do? How would God have you to respond? I hope we'll answer that question today. To some extent. So, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, Jesus is superior to Moses. And in verses 1 and 2, we see that Moses was faithful in God's house, and Jesus is faithful in saving God's house. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Therefore, holy brothers. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews connects this exemplary suffering of Jesus to their effectual call to the salvation that Jesus provides. If we go back to chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, since therefore, the children share in the flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through the death that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted that therefore holy brothers you who share in this heavenly calling so he connects that exemplary suffering of christ to their effectual calling to salvation that god has provided for them he's called them to himself they are described as holy brothers because they were set apart by God's grace to participate in the blessing of being part of God's family by trusting Jesus. The heavenly calling they received refers to the effectual call of God that was brought about by God's grace as they participate in this, as they're working with this. He brought to them out, He called them out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's the work of Jesus and their saving grace. You, you and I, we need to think about that. We're, we're sharing in this work with God. We're sharing in this work that God has given us in Christ, this glorious salvation that we've received. We were called out of darkness. God saved us and called us into this light to walk in. You and I are holy brothers, holy brothers and sisters. We've been set apart by God's grace in this way. They received this heavenly call to salvation and their Savior that was provided by His own suffering. They hold this position by grace, not by achievement. 
How in the world can any of us be saved? It's not by what we do. It's not by how we can police our lives. It's not how we get ourselves holy. It's by God's mercy and grace to us. The point is that they're fortunate to be in the family of faith. Not that the family of faith is fortunate to have them. You are fortunate when God calls you out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. We're blessed by that reality. And we need to appreciate that reality. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in this heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The request that they consider Jesus is an encouragement to take the time to give worshipful thought to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. I think most of us would agree that in our walk, day by day, it's easy to take the person and work of Jesus for granted. I think it's easy to just not remember what he's done, what he's accomplished, what he's achieved for us. And we're called to give some thought and give some consideration to these things. We should be intentionally we should be intentionally about worshiping and thinking about Christ and what he's done for us. That should be a part of our thoughts each and every day. We need to discipline our minds to take this into our hearts that we would think about Christ. We would consider Christ. Not just take it all for granted. I, I, I find that to be true for me. It's easy for me to take him for granted. It's easy for me to lose sight of him and what he has done. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The apostle, the apostolos, the messenger, envoy, one who is sent. Jesus came on a redemptive mission, and as such, he was God's envoy bringing salvation. He was that apostle, that messenger of mission that came to this earth. Jesus is the emissary of new covenant life and promises. The, these points are being driven home to them because they're Jews. They're questioning what's going on. They're thinking about all this stuff. And so this writer of Hebrews, he's, he's talking about who Jesus is and why he is so important. And if Jesus is so important, then shouldn't you and I be thinking about how important Jesus is? We get so blinded by our own functions, our own lives, and our own activities, and we lose sight of Jesus Christ. And even when opposition comes, we become strangely blinded to Jesus. The apostle and high priest, the mission of Jesus to grant access to God to the people of the new, of the new covenant, that was what Jesus came to do. He became that high priest for us to usher us into the very presence of God himself. Jesus endured the shame, the suffering, the penalty, the abandonment, and the death so that forgiveness, cleansing, and justification should, could be secured for his people. Think about that. Why is the writer of Hebrews making this point? Why is he stressing this to these Jewish people? These Jewish people who have said, we're followers of Jesus. He wants them to remember who Jesus is and what he has come to do. As the high priest to provide this work, what has been accomplished? Man, 
Did Jesus endure shame during his life? Did he suffer during his life? When he was on the cross paying the penalty for sin, what did he experience? His, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he, he sensed he was abandoned there to pay the penalty for sin in a very painful way he experienced the absence of the comforting presence of his father god so that we could be ushered into the very presence of father god You see, some of the ethnic Jews addressed in this letter are contemplating forsaking Jesus and returning to Judaism. Why? Why? Well, they want to alleviate the suffering that they're going through. They want to alleviate the hardships that they're experiencing. They've, they've been horribly treated. They're, th they're threatened. Their very security in life is threatened on a regular basis. I mean, I, I know I say this every week, but that's the context of this letter. We cannot lose sight of that point. And put yourself in that spot, folks. You've got to put yourself there. What would you be doing if the, your life and the life of your family was being threatened? If you were going to be so ignored and so shunned by the community that you can't even go to the marketplace and buy anything to eat. That your children are ridiculed, mocked, screamed at, hollered at, called all kinds of names. How would you feel? How many of you would honestly, if you're honest, say, I think I'd be sincerely questioning whether I could stay the course. I don't know that I can handle that. If you don't ask yourself that question, if you don't really honestly think that, I don't think you're in touch with who you are as a human. It is only as you've seen the power of Christ in you to keep you sustained and faithful that you will trust the power of Christ in you to keep you sustained and faithful. Your mere human determination will not carry the day. You want to try to fight your sin and the power of the flesh? It's not going to happen. The victory is Jesus. Now please, those of you who are here and you're not Christians, those of you who are here and you've never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, there's a, there's a very important point that I do not want you to miss. Those coming to faith in Jesus Christ are not promised a pathway of ease and affirmation. If, if you've been told the gospel by people that are witnessing to you and they're saying, all of your problems will disappear, just come to Jesus. I'm promising you that is a lie. I, he deals with our sin and he deals with our struggles and he, there's a presence of his peace that is so amazing and so overwhelming. And the shame of our sin disappears through the light of God's grace to us in Christ. But you, have, you will embrace a life of opposition and difficulty. There's no way to escape that. 
To think it's going to go easy is nonsense. Our great high priest, Jesus, suffered much for us. And thanks be to God, he will enable his people to suffer much for him. That is what you and I can count on, is the grace of God to bear us up, to carry us through, to grant us peace in the midst of all of that affliction and storm, to grant us the ability to remain resolved, to keep pressing on, to keep pressing forward. How will I get through? By the grace of God in Christ. How can I stand strong when they're trying to take everything I have? By the grace of God in Christ. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Our confession. The declaration of personal faith and surrender to the work of our apostle and high priest, Jesus Christ. He's summarizing it. This is our confession. Lord Jesus, we are absolutely dependent upon you. You are our saving grace. You are the one who sets us free. You're the one who delivers us from our own sins curse. And we are children of God because of the work of Christ. Our confession is, Lord, we trust you. We abide in you. We have no other hope outside of you. That is our confession. This is a confession that changes the course of people's lives. Those who make, say they make a confession and it doesn't change the course of their life, it doesn't redirect who they are and what they do, how in the world could Christ be a reality in that? He's not. This is a confession that pledges our grace-enabled love and loyalty to the Lord. And I say our grace-enabled love and loyalty to the Lord because we don't have any personal love and loyalty to the Lord. It's got to come from Him. We love because He loved us first. We're devoted to him because he's devoted to us. The fact, notice this, he says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Our confession. Immediately putting this in the context of the people of God of the new covenant in that church. This is our confession. This is true of us as people here today. We, this, we don't make this individual isolation. This is our confession. We share this openly as the people of God. We were never meant to walk this life alone. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light to share this in the fellowship of God's people so that we walk together in the affirmation, Jesus is the one we confess as Lord. He is our Savior. He's the, our Deliverer. We have no hope. This is our confession. And you see, when you stray from that confession, you're not just straying from Jesus. You're straying from the people of Jesus. This is the community of faith. We are to be connected to one another in this way. We were never designed to go it alone. You will never be successful going it alone. 
we desperately need fellowship with God's people. It's what we've been set apart for. Verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. So the writer of Hebrews affirms the faithfulness of Jesus and the faithfulness of Moses to the tasks that they were given to fulfill. Jesus was faithful, just like Moses was faithful. The Hebrew, they know Moses was faithful. The writer's saying Jesus is faithful, just like Moses. Jesus was unwavering in his commitment to fulfill the redemptive plan of God. Moses was faithful to fulfill his role in delivering God's people from Egypt. Moses was sent to deliver the people of God from that enslavement in Egypt. And Jesus was sent to deliver the people of God from the enslavement of sin, self, and Satan. Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. The writer of Hebrews makes a quotation from Numbers chapter 12 and verse 7. He includes this as he describes God's affirmation of the faithfulness of Moses when his authority was questioned by Aaron and Miriam. Opposition comes in strange places, doesn't it? Moses was a faithful servant of God. But his brother and his sister take issue with him. And they question him and question his place. Question the place that God had put him in. Numbers 12 verse 7 says, you know, he's describing how God speaks to people. And how he speaks to, through other prophets and how he impresses upon them how to speak. He's, he said, but not so with my servant Moses. I speak to him face to face, mouth to mouth. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. In all God's house. He was faithful the writer of Hebrews says, Moses was faithful in all God's house. This is an important thing. This is a reference to the people of God. To be in God's house was to be among the people of God. Moses was faithful in God's house. So Moses is among the people of God as one of the people of God. But God set Moses out as the leader of his people while being among his people. And Moses was humbly faithful, even in the face of opposition that came practically from every front that you can imagine. He experienced opposition from Pharaoh and the armies and the ridicule and all that, and he gets it from the people of God, those who he was sent to deliver. They take issue from it, with him. Then in the enemies out in the wilderness to come and attack, there's all of this opposition. And you got these various factions among the people of God that rise up. Korah, Dathan, Abiram. Who are you, Moses? Serving the Most High God, doing what God has called me to do. We don't, we don't submit to you, we don't trust you. 
And it's not just those people. Now his own brother and sister are opposed to him. Folks, your difficulties and challenges in life are not unique to you. People of God have been suffering opposition down through the centuries. To walk with Christ, to walk with Christ in God, it's going to bring opposition. We need to be prepared for it. You see, the eyes of Moses were focused on the Lord, not the people who opposed him. Why? Because he was devoted to fulfill God's plan. The eyes of Jesus were focused on God, not the people who opposed him because he's there to fulfill God's plan. And I ask, who are your eyes focused on? Whose plan are you here to fulfill? If we just get it in our head, well, all I want to do is survive. There's so much more to our lives than this. We've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ to promote that marvelous light of Christ, to share that marvelous light with people because other people need to know this. They need to walk in this. It needs to be something we're committed to. But you say, but when you share that, people get upset. Yeah, you're right, they do. And it's not going to stop. It's going to continue. We have to be prepared. And our focus is very important. What are you focused on? Well, I just want to have a you know, good reputation among the community. What about Jesus? I just want my family to like me. Who doesn't? But sometimes they don't. Where are you fixing your attention, brothers and sisters in Christ? Verses 3 to 4, Moses was an occupant in God's house, and Jesus is the builder of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Both Jesus and Moses were faithful to the call to fulfill God's plan for them. They were faithful. Both Jesus and Moses, but Jesus and Moses do not stand on equal ground. They're not the same. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. You see, Moses was highly esteemed by the Jews, and he still is. However, Jesus holds a place of exaltation far above Moses. What holds the place of highest honor? Is it the house or the builder of the house? When you see a house that's been constructed or a temple that's been constructed and you look at that temple, you go, wow, that's amazing. But what's more significant, the temple or the builder? We get our fixation on the material things. But here, the writer of Hebrews is saying it's the builder that's far more glorious. Moses was part of the house. He was part of the people of God. 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more glory than the house itself. Moses was part of the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. Jesus is the designer and the builder of the Jews as the people of God in the church. The church is now comprised of both Jews and Gentiles in this new covenant, and we come together as the temple of God. Who's building this? Who is building us together as his people? This is Christ. It's the work of Christ. Jesus promised he'd build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. Jesus is at work to bring his church together to do this work, and he is the builder of his church. This place where in the new covenant, Jew and Gentile are united in one as the people of God. Incredible blessing, incredible thing. Now, bear with me, please, as we do some little bit of Old Testament examination, some understanding of these passages. In Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, the writer of Zechariah here talks about the high priest, Joshua, who typifies the great high priest who is to come, the branch, Jesus Christ. Zechariah 6 and verses 11 and following, it says, Take from them silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. There will be both priest and king on the throne. This is spoken of, represented through Joshua, son of Jehozadak, who would be put in this place, and at that point there would be Joshua and a priest brought together, probably Zerubbabel, and that would be that manifestation. But it is indicative, it is a prophecy that is going to find a greater fulfillment in Jesus, who is the branch, who spreads out his power and ability to build his temple in that way. The Apostle Paul addresses those whose teachings divide and destroy the local church in Corinth, and he makes this statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. He's not referring to individuals, he's referring to the church of God in Corinth. Paul describes the ministry of God now revealed that Jew and Gentile are united as one man in Christ. This is the new covenant grace that's displayed where? In the church. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 and following. For through him, Jesus, for through him, we both, in context, if you look at it, You'll just have to trust me here unless you want to read it real quick. 
But we both, he's referring to Jew and Gentile, is, is the concept of the both. For through him, Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being held together grows into a what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Was that just true for Corinth? Was that just true for Ephesus? Or is the same thing true today? We're being built as a holy temple for the very presence of God by his Spirit. We are blessed to be that temple. We are blessed to be God's people recipients of his his kindness and goodness and his favor that we don't deserve we don't earn we could never achieve and here we are blessed you see jesus is worthy of much more glory as the builder of this temple the church in the new covenant verse 4 for every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is god Wow, don't miss that. A more clear statement of the deity of Christ could not be made. Jesus is the builder. And what's he saying? For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses because He's not only in the house, he's the designer and builder of the house. And who is this Jesus, the builder of all things? He's God. These ethnically Jewish Christians who are considering turning back to Judaism must understand that turning away from Jesus means that they are turning away from God. It's huge. Let's practically apply that. Anytime we decide to turn away from truth and the teaching of Jesus to cater to the desires of men and women in society, to ourselves, whatever, we're not, we're turning away from God. Jesus is God, a very God. His truth is to reign in us, and we're to honor him, and we're to acknowledge him as the builder of what's going on in our lives, and he's to be revered and respected. And that means you and I walk a straight and narrow line of honoring him, being devoted to him in all that we do. He is to be exalted in every breath of our lives. Moses was a faithful servant in the house of God, and Jesus is a faithful son ruling God's house. Verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. As one among the people of God in God's house, Moses is a faithful servant of God. Moses 
was not innately superior to the people of Israel. There was nothing about Moses that said, well, he's got a better bloodline. He's, he's more exalted. No, not at all. Moses was a natural man among natural men. Moses functions as a servant of God among the people of God. Again, notice this. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. Again, the writer of Hebrews references Numbers 12 and verse 7. We go to Numbers 12, verses 5 and following, and we realize that fueled by jealousy, Aaron and Miriam take issue with Moses' choice of a Cushite wife. They didn't like the, his, the wife he chose. But was that really the problem? Or was it jealousy that made them take issue with what Moses. Isn't it amazing how that happens in our lives? We become jealous of people and we start picking apart everything they do. It's incredible, isn't it? That Aaron and Miriam, his brother and his sister, take issue with Moses. They want and are demanding equal footing with him. And it says, And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forward. Imagine how that must have felt. And he said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then are you not afraid to speak against Moses, my servant? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And what you find out happening is, is Miriam becomes leprous like that, completely white as snow, God's judgment. And now, now, now they're going, we were wrong. Moses, cry out to the Lord for healing. Oh, I mean, if you're totally covered with leprosy, what are you going to think? And Aaron's freaking out himself. Boy, Aaron gets... He gets by with a lot. But he realizes this could be bad. So Moses does cry out. And he pleads with God for the healing of Miriam. And God heals him. But he tells her she was going to be outside the camp for seven days just like anyone who was unclean. Being, track with this here, track with the context, being a fault finder with the will and ways of Jesus will not bode well for them. It's not going to bode well for the these people, the Hebrews that are being written to. You take issue with the will and ways of Jesus Christ, it's just not going to go well. Folks, you and I got to get this to our hearts. We've been given a mission to advance the kingdom of Christ. The gospel of the kingdom needs to be going forward. We need to be absolutely intent about this. This means we're going to suffer difficulties, hardships, afflictions. There are going to be people that just don't like us. It doesn't matter. You can sit back and say, well, I, it shouldn't be like this. I mean, I should be able to go to heaven and it should be a dream cloud. 
That's not the way it goes. We follow God's direction, God's design. It's not going to go well for us when we start finding fault with Jesus and what he demands. And you may say, well, it's just hard. I mean, you know, I want to live for God, but then he has these expectations. I mean, if it weren't for that silly Bible that tells me I got to do these things, we would never be so bold to say that most of the time. But we act like that. We act just like that. We say, well, it's the, those expectations. I mean, they're culturally irrelevant, right? That was written for a different time. We just need to, you know, unearth the truths and walk in that. No, we're commanded to walk according to the will and ways of Christ. And it's not going to be easy. And don't find fault with it. It won't go well with you. Moses spoke of the, of the prophet like him who would come after him. That is Jesus. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, it says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. It is him. It is to him you shall listen. And then Moses said to the people, this is what I'm telling you. But then he goes and he tells how God told him that in chapter 18, verses 18 and 19. And it says in verse 18, spoken from God to Moses, I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is the prophecy that the writer of Hebrews is referring to now. He confirms that this Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Following the transfiguration, when God spoke to Peter and James and John up on the mountain, remember? Saw the glory of the Lord revealed, you know? Moses, pretty, pretty impressive, pretty amazing. Peter was pretty stupefied, just like normal, just babbles out stuff, you know? It's good for us to be here. Let's make some tents. Let's dwell for a little while here. You know? <laughs> you, sometimes don't you just want to take Peter and just say, shut up. <laughs> you know? But he's a lot like us. While he was still speaking, Peter, while he was still speaking, when Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. To listen indicates honor and obedience. It means you acknowledge that Jesus has the right. I should honor Him. I should be quiet and listen to what Jesus has to say. He doesn't need your advice. He doesn't need our opinions. Listen to him. You see, to refuse to listen to Jesus is to defy God. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses is faithful as a servant. Christ is faithful as a son. Jesus isn't just a faithful servant. Jesus is a faithful son. Jesus isn't in the house. Jesus is over the house. That means he's reigning over all of this as Lord. 
as king. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confession and our boasting in our hope. You see, New Covenant Christians are part of the house that Jesus built. How do we know that we're part of the house that Jesus built? How, how do we figure that out? How do we understand? How do we know? Well, we made our confession, right? And having made our confession, that we're trusting in Jesus Christ as the one that God sent, and he is our high priest who represents us and gives us and pays the penalty for our sin. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. You see, how do we know we're part of this house that Jesus builds? The proof is not just a profession, but a possession. And it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the true people of God persevere. You don't persevere to earn your salvation. You persevere because you are saved. You have the ability to hold fast because it's true in you. That's how we know. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, if, Indeed, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. What's the point? How do you know that you truly are a participant in all this glorious saving grace that God has done? By the evidence of persevering grace. You hold fast. You're faithful to the end. What is the writer of Hebrews driving home to these people? You, you bail, you're gone. You revealed your heart was never there. They went out from us because they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But their going showed that they had no part with us. You see, God's people persevere. Not by self-determination, but by the grace of Almighty God. You and I are able to stand against opposition and difficulty and affliction and suffering because of the grace of God, enabling us to persevere. You don't look within, you look above. You see Christ. He's able. True people of God will endure to the end. If you endure to the end, you belong to God's household. Proofs in the pudding. Our hope is not self-determination. Our hope is the enabling grace of God that will be revealed. Jesus is to believe to be the believer's confidence and boast of hope. Our focus is to be on Christ consistently. He is the one who strengthens us. He's the one who we draw from. He's the one whose will and ways we walk in. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope we will maintain that hope 
faithful to the end. That's God's grace in us. That's who's glorified is God. Because he enables us to remain faithful as his people. He's faithful to build us as his temple. And he's faithful to sustain us as his people. You can trust him. Keep your focus on him. He's there for you. I'm not trying to minimize. I'm not trying to say, hey, the suffering isn't real. It's very real. I'm not saying the difficulties, oh, just ignore them. They'll go away. No, they're real. You may, in fact, bleed. You may, in fact, die. But you will not be destroyed. The victory is Jesus. We can abide in him. And we can survive in him. He will carry us through. Some questions to consider. In what ways can you do better giving worshipful thought to Jesus throughout the day? Consider him. Consider him. We, you and I, I think we could do a better job of just giving thoughtfulness to Christ. Consider him. Throughout the course of our week, take some time. In the course of your day, give thought to Jesus. Who is he? What he's done? Oh man, this is great. He's my Savior, my Lord. How is the God-focused faithfulness of Moses and Jesus an encouragement to you? Folks, each one of them endured much. <laughs> they endured much, but they were faithful. They kept their focus where it needed to be. They were faithful. Why is it important for us to glorify Jesus above all others as the builder of the house? The house, his temple, the church. He is the one who makes it all happen. It's not our craftiness. It's not our ways. It's not our skills. It's not our abilities. Christ, putting his truth into practice, that's what builds God's people. How can correction be achieved when, others, when we or others become fault finders concerning the will and ways of God? How is correction going to be achieved when we or others become fault finders concerning the will and ways of God. He will bring correction. He will bring that because he cares. And how does perseverance help you to know that you're part of a hope-filled covenant, new covenant temple that Jesus is building? Stay focused. Hold true. Christ is there for you, and he will keep us going forward. And as we persevere, our hearts can be confirmed. I truly am a child of God. It's that perseverance that bleeds forth that evidence. And I want you to know that that's real. But the opposition is very tangible. It's very, it's really close. You can smell it, you can taste it, and it's hard. But Christ is faithful, people of God. He's able to carry us through. You're not alone. He's there with you. He's not, and you're not alone because we have one another as the temple that he's building. Let's be devoted to him in that way. God, we pray for your grace. We pray for your goodness to be poured out upon us as your people. Help us to walk in the light of these truths. Help us to resist the compromises that come. Help us to resist the weaknesses that surface and help our focus to be on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher, the perfecter of our faith. God, help us to trust you, to abide in you. And God, I pray that the people that are here, those who are struggling, those who are hurting, God, the challenges, the sufferings, the afflictions, they're, they're real. 
abide with them, keep them faithful, be that source of comfort and strength to them. And God, for those who are outside looking in, may they have full awareness of what this salvation brings. That, yeah, it is glorious to be saved and forgiven, to stand at peace with you, Almighty God. But Lord, we are on a battlefront and we need to advance this cause of Christ. Help us to be faithful in doing that. Bring others into the fold so that we are aided in this task at hand. God, we need you. We'll cry out to you for your help. In the name of Jesus, amen.